Here's going to happen. I am going to have to fix you, manage you to on a more personal. Boom. Yes. Now Jim is going to be the more difficult. Let's go. All right. Fine. <clears throat> bring, bring. Hello. Hello. This is Dwight Schrute from the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company. Wow, that's great because I need paper. Excellent. Then you are in luck because we are having a limited time offer only on everything. Wow, this is my lucky day. Ask him his name. What is your name, sir? I am Bill Butlicker. Really? That's your real name? How dare you? My family built this country, by the way. Be respectful, Dwight, please. Uh, uh, yes, Michael. Could you hold on one second? That's my other line. What? No, but I... Hello? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just on the phone with this stupid salesman. He's so dumb. Probably just gonna keep him on the line forever and not buy anything. <laughs> okay. It's up to you to change his mind. Sorry. That was a... Uh family emergency. Oh no, what's wrong? You know what? That's private. Boundaries, Dwight, come I'm, on. I'm sorry, Mr. Butlicker. As I was saying, <sighs> we're having a limited... Speak up a little bit louder, I'm hard of hearing. He's hard if he's an old man. Okay, as I was saying, right now yeah, we're having... talk louder. Okay, our prices have never been lower. Son, you have Certain... to talk louder. Never been lower. Louder, but... son! Butlicker! Our prices have never been lower! Stop it, stop it! He... That is totally inappropriate. You never yell at the client. You now never you listen yell at the to client. me, sir. Here we go. The three words I would describe you Here as is aggressive, yes. hostile, and definitely difficult. Please, Mr. Butler. I'm irate right give now. Give me the phone. Please give me another chance. Give me the phone. Mr. Butlicker. Give me the phone. I have to put you on with my boss. Well, I should hope so. Who is this? Hello, this is Michael Scott, regional manager. Well, this is William M. Butlicker. Hello, Mr. Butlicker. How may we help you? Michael, I like the sound of your voice. You know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna buy one million dollars worth of paper products today. <laughs> See how it's done? Thank you very much, sir. I don't think you'll regret it. You're the master. There is one condition, Michael. Yes. You have to fire the salesman that treated me so terribly. Don't do it, Michael. Well, hey, Kairos. My name is Haley Shepherds, and I am the Outreach Minister for Hope Ames. I'm so excited to be with you here tonight. Uh, have you? Has anyone seen The Office? If you haven't, if you, have you seen it, can you raise your hand? Like, who's seen The Office? Okay, that was, that's a lot. Um, I do not watch The Office because it stresses me out. Does it? Does The Office stress anyone else out? Just me, maybe. There's a couple. The relationships between Michael and Dwight and Jim—it's chaos. But there is something that's healthy about their relationships, and we're going to get, that to get to that a little bit later. But what I love about them is that they're unapologetically themselves. They're so willing to be honest with one another, and they've created this office space where they can just be free to be themselves, whether that's crazy like Dwight, uh, whether that's controlling and a compulsive liar like Michael, um, or, you know, if, with Dwight, you never know what you're going to get. And so we get to see also Jim just push Dwight's buttons all the time. It's a really good show uh, to really test relationships. Um, but we see in this episode that uh, they are really challenged to be honest with each other, and they're very vulnerable about who they are, and they unashamedly will just act out um, exactly who they are and what they do, and just who the characters are. But one thing that drives me crazy is that we see that they're not mo the most integrity, there's not very much integrity in what they do. Oftentimes they're caught doing things that are irresponsible, things that are just dangerous, and they hurt the people around them. But I want us to reframe this idea of integrity, which we'll be talking about tonight. That's our main theme. We're talking about emotionally healthy relationships in our series. And I'm excited to talk about this because the way we view integrity isn't necessarily the way that we look at scripture, the way scripture talks about integrity. 
And so we are going to continue this series and think about uh, maybe times during this week where you've had integrity, where you've had morals, and maybe times in your life, maybe this week, where you didn't do the moral thing, you didn't do the right thing, you didn't do the good thing. I will just right now confess a few things that I've done this week that weren't necessarily moral, because why not? I have their microphone, so let's do it. (laughs) But one opportunity I had this week was to be on a podcast uh, called The Ginger Hour. It's actually, I love to help students. I'm in outreach. After that, but then there's something about the way the Holy Spirit moves that just humbles you quickly after that. There's a few moments this week where I was just in a moral dilemma, like I had done something that wasn't myself, that I wouldn't normally do. The first one actually happened the day after the podcast. I was at church, the one place where you're not supposed to mess up, right? And I was working uh, in the backstage, and I had a coffee cup. I had Starbucks in the morning, because on Sundays we wake up at like 5.30 a.m. It's so early. And so I need my coffee. And I saw that once I finished my coffee and I went to throw it away, that the trash can didn't have a liner in it. And of course, I just threw it in there, thinking, not my problem, not my job, threw it in there, only to see a volunteer a couple hours later put a liner in, take my cup out, and put it in the bin. Humbling moment. Maybe you've had experiences like that. I'm willing to confess that I messed up and that wasn't right of me and I shouldn't have done that. And I thought in the moment, "Mm, this probably isn't right, but I did it anyways. We have those moral moments where we just don't get it right. Another thing that happened to me is, one thing you should know about me is that I lose absolutely everything. Maybe you are the same way. And I had lost my wallet at a restaurant, one of my favorite restaurants, I won't name the restaurant name, but I was convinced that someone had stolen it at the restaurant. And so I had boycotted my favorite restaurant for like two months. And I'm convinced that some employees took it and is never giving it back to me. Well, yesterday I actually received a letter from the Ames Police Department that my wallet has been found and someone had the integrity to turn it in. So I'm very grateful for whoever did that. Now I haven't actually picked my wallet up, so please no one go to the station and tell them that it's you and it's me. But these are just a few moments where when we think about integrity or having integrity, it's doing the right thing in the moment. It's about choosing the good thing over the bad thing. But when we look at the Bible and we look at what integrity really means, one of my favorite authors, Parker Palmer, put it this way, it's not just sticking to a moral code, it's the state or quality of being entire, complete, unbroken. And so we see that Parker Palmer looks at integrity in a different way. It's actually about wholeness. Have you felt whole, or do you feel like there's something missing in your life? Now, Parker Palmer is a Quaker, so if you know anything about the Quaker faith or religion, it's all about how uh, we personally can connect with God. And so I truly believe that Parker Palmer crushes it when it's talking about integrity and what it means. It's, what, it's about wholeness, and it's about what God can bring into the picture and into our lives. And so Parker Kalbalmer goes on to say in his book that integrity refers to the human being, our unimpaired or genuine state corresponding to our original condition. Okay, so what is our original condition as human beings? What is the way that God created us to be? And you can go to the next slide. We see that integrity is wholeness, but if God created us to be whole, why are we no longer whole? We see that in the book of Genesis, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. We see that God created human beings in his own image. You will hear us say this time and time again at Kairos, because it's true. God wasn't done creating until God created you. And like every creation, 
We reflect God's own image. And then we read in the next verse, we see Genesis in chapter 1, verses 31. God gives himself a pat on the back, and not only did God create us, humans and the earth and everything on it, but he looks at creation. He says it's very good. There's that word, good again. You are very good. But I think we have changed the way that we view goodness. The word good has become this glorified word that's directly tied to our worth, something we try to attain or be, something we can achieve. When the reality is, is good is a state of being, and you already are good because God created you good. You are God's workmanship, God's perfect. It's about a story with Adam and Eve with God, that humanity. We see that they have this perfect paradise with God. They live in complete wholeness with God. There's nothing that separates their relationship. They found peace. We see that in Genesis 2.25, now the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So they were, they were all open with God. They were letting it all hang out. And so we see that in this story, that quickly changes. We know that humanity now tries to define good and evil for themselves. God creates this perfect creation, gave them a role and said, I want you to care for my creation. I want you to be a steward, but I want you to have free will. I trust you, but I want you to trust me. I want to have a relationship with you where we trust each other. And so he, God says, I just don't want you to eat from the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only thing that I ask. But it was like a giant easy button for Adam and Eve. So they pressed it. The one button you're not supposed to touch, you touch, right? And so they fall into sin. We see here that they see that they're naked. They see that the world's no longer perfect. They see the evil and the chaos. They also see the good. And then they recognize themselves as not being good because they are now pulled away from God. And the Lord called out to the man and asks, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. That vulnerability was stripped away, and now Adam and Eve had to protect themselves from God. The exact opposite of what God wants. Have you ever asked God, God, where's your integrity when the bad things happen in your life? God, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, God didn't press the button. But God promises not to just leave us hanging in the brokenness and the pain and the chaos and the evil of the world. No, he says, I'm going to send my son into that brokenness for you. God comes to us to make us whole again. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could receive that wholeness, so that we could be people of integrity, people that don't have to strive for good. We just are, because God says we are. If integrity is wholeness, and God has all the wholeness we could ever need, then that means we need God. And so we see that it's better to be whole than to sometimes be good, at least the way we define good. Good has become this word that's been weaponized now. You're either good or you're bad. You're in or you're out. In order to be good, you have to do more, be more. I don't want it, if good means that. I want wholeness. Maybe you do too. 
So I want us to avoid the misconception of good in this story and focus on what wholeness means, what integrity means. When we understand integrity, we can stop obsessing over codes of conduct. Maybe you have a school code of conduct, or maybe you have house rules. But the first step of integrity we read on our next slide here is recognizing our own brokenness and our need for God. To reflect on the ways our life and soul may be divided. When I say soul, I'm talking about your whole being. I'm talking about your values, your personality, your faith, your relationships, your experiences, your emotions, everything that makes you, you. And then all of a sudden that life becomes divided. But what does it mean to be divided, to be broken, to not be whole anymore? I want to ask you some questions, and maybe they'll resonate with you. How many of you have avoided telling someone how you truly felt because you didn't want to start a conflict or be a problem? For maybe how you'd be perceived? Or maybe how many of you feel that sometimes you are one person publicly and another person privately? It's true. I felt that the pressure to perform, the pressure to be the child my parents want, the pressure to represent an organization on campus the way uh, I believe I should represent them. And so we start to build these insides and outsides of our life. Some people get to see our true heart, our true feelings, our true emotions on the inside, and then we're another person maybe on the outside. Maybe there's parts of us maybe on the inside that we want to hide. We don't want people to see. We're ashamed of them. Uh, you know, it's, if someone sees this part of me, they will no longer want to be a part of my life. That won't, they won't either want to be in a relationship with me. And so I'm just going to stick with what I want to be seen on the outside. But I have an illustration for you of how Jesus takes these two sides of the coin and, and basically combines them. Jesus doesn't have an inside or an outside in our Bible reading. Instead, we see something else. Now, for those of you who are math majors or architects or um, if, you're, if you study any kind of engineering, does anyone know what this is? I hear a couple whispers. It's the Mobius strip, and I know we don't pay attention a lot to, to illustrations that our math majors and engineers love, and so I thought I'd include you because we don't do that enough. Uh, so this Mobius strip basically is on one-sided plane. So there's no more inside or outside. If you go around the circle, it's all one strip, and it never ends. The inside and outside are inseparable. Our onstage lives, our outstage lives, are the image, the influence, the impact, the ego. The backstage lives is our intuition, our instinct, our value, our belief, our faith. And Jesus brings those two worlds together. Jesus brings healing and wholeness too. So that whoever we are in the inside, whoever God tells us we are, we can be that on the outside too. But be unashamed, unafraid. But Jesus is the only human being who experienced that undivided life. Jesus says, I and the Father are one in scripture. Jesus is whole because Jesus is God. It's kind of an unfair advantage, right? But Jesus says, it's for you too. I have come now, so you no longer have to live a divided life. You can live a life of integrity, a life of wholeness. 
Now, from our Bible reading, we read a couple um, verses earlier in chapter 4. Jesus is actually being tested. Jesus, are you who you say you are? Does the inside match the outside? Are you whole? And Jesus is being tempted by the devil. Jesus says, you know, there's no other king besides God. I have come to save God's people. And the devil says, worship me and you can be king. You can be king of the world. I'll give it all to you, Jesus. You just have to bow down to me. I think similarly, we are also tested or tempted with what the world says will bring us joy, what the world says will make us whole, and what makes us belong. We're tempted to put other things before God. But most of all, I think we're tempted to close ourselves off from the world around us. We are here to trust no one. Have you ever heard that it's not good to wear your heart on your sleeve? We have sayings like this all over society. You opened yourself up to that. You're going to get burned. If we're living like that, we're not thriving. We're just surviving. We're just protecting ourselves. One of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver, says this, I don't want to end up simply having visited this world. Mary Oliver wants to live it. How are you living? Parker Palmer says this in his book, if you have lived behind a wall long enough, the wall itself and the world outside it become all that you know, called you. Where are you? What are your walls? We see that Jesus is a different example and one we can live by. Jesus opens his arms to all of the evil and the pain and the chaos and the sin. And he says the opposite of what Adam said in our Genesis story. He says, here I am. Bring it on. So after Jesus is tested by evil, Jesus passes with flying colors. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then comes our Bible reading. We see that Jesus now begins to head off to his ministry. The first place he goes is in this next scene. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, stood there and read the scriptures. How many of you have been home since you've been to college? Yeah? There's a lot of you who have been home. Um, home for me is Adele DeSoto member in ADM, the Tigers. Is anyone from ADM? Okay, we got a couple. We got a couple people. <laughs> I graduated in 2014, uh, so no one remembers me anymore. I'm kind of old now, which is sad, but I love ADM. But going home was one thing that I did once a year at the Adel Sweet Corn Festival. If you've ever been, it's great, but that's the one time a year everyone comes back home, and it reminds me of this passage. Maybe you've gone home, and you are now a different person than the people that remember you there. Maybe your friends are used to the person that they can always you know, laugh with, and now you've become a more serious person. Maybe you were a serious person, and now you've really let loose and become a fun person. Maybe you're not the person that they expected. Or maybe you're exactly the same. Either way, coming home after you've been gone for a while, it's a little different. Maybe you feel like you don't belong anymore. Now, in 2014, I know that my high school friends that I graduated with would say I'm a very different person. When I was in high school, my senior year, I was nominated the biggest flirt. What an honor. <laughs> I still, to this day, will go and, and die on the hill that being nice to people is not flirting, but no one else believed that, so here I am. Now I'm going to seminary to be a pastor, and I'm apparently still the biggest flirt, so sorry. <laughs> 
that I don't see myself as that, right? But everyone else sees myself as that. But Jesus is so in tune with who he is, he goes back home and he's exactly the same. He's doing exactly what he's always done. He goes to the synagogue and he reads scripture. Where he worships and he's considered maybe even a regular. Maybe he's considered uh, a leader who is willing to give, share sermons on the scripture. But he's part of this community. He's deeply ingrained in this community. So going home is no big deal. We see that Jesus reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released and that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. Repeat the line there, next verse, that he also says, I have fulfilled this scripture today. This is me. Who I'm reading about in Isaiah is me. I'm the Messiah. I've come to save. I've come to set the captives free. I'm here to be the good news. Good news means that Jesus is going to come, Jesus is going to die for the sins of the world, and that grace, the free gift of forgiveness, is offered for you. That's the good news. And so we see that Jesus is claiming to be the one who saves. It's very different than the Jesus in diapers, than the Jesus who was a teenage boy and went to the temple. It's very different than the, the man who is now proclaiming the good news, and now he's claiming to be God. What? Can be really confusing for the people he grew up with, his family members. But that's not stopping him because he doesn't have an outside self and an inside self. Jesus just is. And he just invites us to be the, that same place, to experience that wholeness. And he's the road to that. And so we see Christ is heading into a new way. He's setting the new path for us. Now everyone that's listening, we read in scripture after this, was amazed. Jesus wasn't speaking about the good works. He was talking about the good work that he will do. The word that's used is gracious. It means grace-filled. Grace-filled words came from his lips. We see that everyone was amazed by this because it's something they hadn't heard. You don't need to earn being good. You are. Because I will bring grace. I will bring forgiveness. I'm the healer of the world. Everything that's been broken... I will make right. I will restore it. And so what's the, what is grace-based integrity? Grace-based wholeness. It means that grace dwells, grace connects us, and grace reveals. So grace will dwell within us. God's presence dwells within us. We are constantly being forgiven over and over again. But also, it's Christ that dwells within us and keeps us connected to one another. That's how we have emotionally healthy relationships. It's by looking at one another and seeing God in the eyes of a stranger, seeing God in the eyes of a friend. It's God's grace that connects us, that makes our emotionally healthy relationships possible. We also see that God's spirit reveals things to us. Yes, we are continually forgiven over and over again, sometimes without us even knowing, because that's how powerful God is. But also there's this, there's this tug from the Holy Spirit it says, the way you're living sometimes, it's harmful for you. It's harmful in the relationships that you're in. And I want to pull you to a new way. I want to pull you towards healing and forgiveness. But hear this, it's gentle. It's not wrathful or vengeful or disappointed. It's lovely. And sometimes it's easy to hear and sometimes it's a little difficult and uncomfortable. 
But the one thing we're invited to, to build healthy relationships, emotionally healthy relationships, is to listen. Listen to God. God might show up in some very unusual ways, but if you ask, God will show you. God gives us a life of healing and forgiveness and encourages us to pass that gift along. Extend grace to others. But receiving this gift of grace and forgiveness that brings wholeness, it's risky. It means that we have to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to look within ourselves in ways that we would probably prefer to avoid. If we have any avoiders in the room, just want to pretend like it's not happening, push it away in a suitcase, don't open it up. And so we see that not everyone wants to hear these words that Jesus has. The people that are close to him don't believe him. We read in Luke 4.21 that the scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled, Jesus says. When they heard this, they mobbed him. They intended to push him over a cliff, and when he passed right through the crowd, he went away. The people closest to Jesus, who knew him the best, that was audacious. I am the Messiah, the one who has come to save, the one who has come to make you whole. And finally, this, this wholeness that we have been missing has arrived, and they try to kill him. They say, how can this be? This is Joseph's son. We know Joseph and Mary, the carpenter's kid. How can this be? Have you ever felt like you didn't belong? This is the one place Jesus thought he belonged. He is an outcast now. Where do you belong? Do you know where you belong? When you know whose you are, it's easy to identify who you are or identity. Have you ever tried to belong to a group or an organization or in a relationship and felt fraudulent or invisible? Jesus is probably feeling those things right now. Oftentimes we feel that way because we're not living in the world as who we really are. But then there's the case of Jesus who's exactly who he says he is and we can trust that. Maybe you're experiencing that emptiness, the loneliness, the anxiousness that comes with having that disconnect, that divided life. Maybe you want to be whole. You're searching in other areas in the world, in your life, in other people. You're just coming short. It takes courage to live an undivided life. But it also takes the power of God. And so we read this about courage um, from Parker Palmer's text. He says, courage comes as we understand that no punishment anyone might inflict on us could possibly be worse than the punishment we inflict on ourselves by living a divided life. That hurt. Are you inflicting pain on yourself by trying to be two people? By living one way inside, another way outside? By living in brokenness? and remaining there, and just suffering in silence, Jesus offers another way. The way of integrity, not about being good, but knowing you're good, because God says so. Integrity is about truth-telling. Sometimes it's truth-telling to ourselves. Sometimes we have to tell the truth to other people. In an emotionally healthy relationship, you can be honest with your friends. But there has to be an agreement that there's not going to be any shame or any conflict. You can be open with each other. 
Sometimes feelings get hurt. Sometimes your roommate leaves dishes in the sink and it drives you absolutely crazy. Instead of being passive aggressive about it, we can just have a conversation. Let's be open to that. That's building those healthy, emotionally healthy relationships by living into your wholeness, by inviting others to live in their wholeness too, to speak their needs, to speak about uh, what, it, what it would look like, you know, to have a great family system or even a roommate system now that you're on campus. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When we're not living into that, living into our own truth, or encouraging others to do the same, it becomes really hard. Integrity means receiving this invitation for healing and wholeness that God offers us. It means knowing Jesus shines in the darkness, and that darkness won't overcome. Divided life, it, it comes in many forms. Do you compartmentalize things in your life? Do you struggle to trust people? Have you distanced yourself in relationships? Have you violated your basic values? We see that it's really difficult to hide your beliefs and avoid conflict. Do you trust to speak your needs to others out of fear of being selfish? I know I've absolutely done that. Why are you remaining in a relationship that kills these things in our life that break us apart and struggle to trust people? It slowly starts to break us. I practice the one-handed open. Here we go. Look at that, everybody. But that's what we become. We don't have integrity. When we don't have wholeness, it's really easy for us to crack. I'm sorry, front row, if you got egg on you. I'm really sorry. But when we live into our wholeness, when we allow ourselves to crack a little bit, to see who we really are, to see who God says we are, we become more like a hard-boiled egg. It's, there's some heat there. We start building a relationship. We, we crack open. But now we can't be broken. What are the walls that you have right now? We trust Jesus. It can be, there can be a little heat first. We have to look within ourselves. We have to experience some vulnerability. We have to witness and recognize the ways in which we hurt and the way we hurt others. But ultimately, we won't be broken. But then there's the other side, the divided life. And that leaves us lonely. And it breaks pretty easily. Now, do you refrain from sharing your feelings because you feel like no one cares? Because others will perceive you differently? That didn't stop Jesus. And he invites it not stop you either. Christ is our example. People will be surprised. We see on the next screen that people opposed him. But it makes no sense because to Jesus it was nothing. You don't understand. He said that over and over again. But someday you will because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. That's a gift for you. One thing I don't understand um, is this idea of pretending when we're children. In fact, we're encouraged to pretend. Now, I have nothing against pretending to build an imagination. But then we become adults, and we keep pretending. Keep pretending to be something else. We hide fundamental parts of our identity. We pretend, and we have this imposter syndrome. We have this disconnect between who I am and who I think I should be. I want so badly to be good. Why can't I just be good? Why can't I just be worthy? Why do I keep breaking? 
Why do I keep experiencing anxiousness and confusion? Why do I feel like I don't belong? Where do I belong, God? Jesus didn't belong so that you would belong. Jesus was the outcast so that you could be included in the family of God. So that you could be open and not afraid. We see that Jesus knows our deepest thoughts and many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce through your very soul. That's painful, but it's good. God invites you to experience integrity in a new way. Integrity as wholeness, as completeness, without shame. And to realize that you're good. There's this journey towards the undivided life. And it begins and ends with the cross of Christ. Our inner light, that's not our own light. That's not the artificial light the world shines on us. It's Christ. When we have this separated life, integrity actually comes from being what you are, a child of God. Jesus, when he was a kid, was with his parents and they lost him and he ends up the one place where he knows he belongs. The temple. Synagogue. And he says this to his parents when they come looking for him. He says, but why do you need to search for me? Didn't you know that I must be my father's house? This is where I belong. It's where you belong too. Saying I trust myself is very, do you need a healer? Do you need life? Do you need wholeness? Jesus is often referred to as the great physician. And in our text from Luke, we see this in Luke 4, 23. Jesus says, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And I couldn't help it because there's a parallel passage, the very end of Luke. There's a Roman soldier who's mocking Jesus saying, Jesus, come down from the cross, save yourself. Why can't you save yourself? If you're God, Show us you're not an imposter. Show us that you can save. You've saved others. Why won't you come down from that cross? So you're the Messiah. Prove it. Jesus takes his last breath. He says, Father, forgive them. That's how he proved it. By giving you grace. By dying for you. We can live a life of integrity because Christ died for it. We are now brought to God. We get to have a relationship with God and an emotionally healthy relationship with others because God did it for us. He showed us the way. He shows us how to live, how to love others, how to be there for others, how to extend grace to others, and reveal in our own hearts how we too can experience peace, wholeness. And I want that for you today in this space. Just take a deep breath in with me. And out. You are whole, because God says so. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand up and sing.